The bandwidth for this episode of the AR-15 Podcast is sponsored by the Firearms Radio Network, firearmsradio.tv. Welcome to episode number 122 of the AR-15 Podcast. I'm your host, Reed Snyder, and with me tonight are my co-hosts, Anthony Hardy and J.W. Ramp. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you, whether you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. So guys, how's everybody doing? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, I've been doing pretty well here. I'm good. Anybody been able to get out to the range? Yes, I know JW has. He's always out at the range. <laughs> Try to. Well, I only ask because I've been sequestered behind a calculator and uh, a uh, library of IRS tax forms for the last uh, several months. So uh, I'm itching to get out and get some trigger time myself. Yes. Um, we need to start off with recognizing that it is Brownells who helps make this show possible, so we want to remind you not to forget that Brownells, with their 100% lifetime satisfaction guarantee, is there for you anytime you have a problem. Like when you can't remove the taper pins from your new barrel to slip off the front side base, and you now have to find a new barrel. So, with that, guys, have uh, have either of you signed up for a Brownells Edge program? You know, I haven't yet. I really haven't been uh, shopping for much lately, kind of since, um, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. Things have kind of been been buying some ammo, but that's about it. I, I might need to put an order in here for some more reloading parts. Um, I just picked up one of those They're power. starting to get plentiful. Yeah, one of those, like, power powder dispensers. It was on Devore uh, for a really good price. And so I figured I'd give that a try. I've been doing a bunch of 308 loading lately and see, see if that helps, uh, as far as accuracy. Well, you know, I got myself a Dillon 550. Unfortunately, Dillon doesn't actually go through Brownell, so I've been a little distressed. Anyway, I have signed up for the Brownell's Edge program and it is an awesome deal. It's provided me a a great deal of uh, comfort and relief when it comes to shipping. And because I tend to ship in very small quantities and, you know, terms of two or three pins, three or four springs, uh, shipping really does kill me. So I'm, I'm real happy with what I've done. But we want to ask that if you do shop for some of your AR-15 parts at Brownells, that you do so by going to our podcast, uh, website link at AR15podcast.com forward slash parts. And when you do so, you help us help you Get more great content like we always try to do. So, guys, uh, tonight we uh, have lined up a special guest. And uh, when we get back from the break, uh, I will interview Pete Brownell. So, everybody, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. All right, listeners, we're back, and tonight's special guest, Pete Brownell, is with us tonight from Brownells, and we are really excited to have you on, Pete. Um, you know, you guys have been really gracious. You've sponsored us and supported us, and 
we want to give the listeners an opportunity to just find out what Brownells and the Brownells family is all about. I'm glad to be here. So thanks for inviting me. Well, you're very welcome. Pete, um, tell me, can, can you define Brownells, um, and, and how you guys view Brownells for the listeners? I mean, who and what is Brownells? Wow. Well, there's, there's the things that we give in the elevator speech. We're, we're taught how to do these things, but let me give you a more of a, a more intimate answer. We're, my grandpa started a gunsmith supply company about 76 years ago now. And it was really out of necessity to, to find all the things that a gunsmith of that time, 1939, would need to make sure that firearms really were operational in the field right, right around really before World War II, right during World War II, the beginning stages of it. So it was, it was a job that he started out of his own garage, like many gunsmiths start. And that's how he started Brownells. And it's grown into today being the, uh, the largest supplier of any gun part out there. Any from springs to detents to levers to barrels to actions to from your, your wheel guns to your semiotic pistols to AR-15s. So any, any part out there that you need to maintain or fix your firearm, any tool that a gunsmith or you may need to do any home gunsmithing, cleaning material, a lot of ammunition, almost Every kind of ammunition you can find, we sell that. Uh, reloading components. We do a lot of uh, emergency survival gear. So that would be water, food, supply, uh, tents, power, storage, those types of things as well. Um, goodness sakes. Well, let me guess some archery. We do some archery uh, products. So it's anything that you're out there pulling the trigger. And uh, if you're a hunter, a competitor, a law enforcement officer, military person, our government, uh, our NATO government friends out there, and you're pulling the trigger, we have everything you need to maintain your firearm right there at either your, your home or in your, your depot. So it's, it's all the above, everything about firearms. Well, that's we're amazing. pretty serious about, yeah, we're pretty serious about making sure that you get, get the right thing in your hands, do the job the right way. Well, so tell me, was your grandfather a gunsmith, or was he uh, just an enterprising entrepreneur? You know, it, it really took both. He would call himself a gunsmith first. He started as, really, as a uh, the home gun, hometown gunsmith here in Montezuma, Iowa. And, oh gosh, just frankly, his his first gunsmithing job was for a colonel in the, in the World War II, uh, in our Army, in the U.S. Army, back in 37. And, and the man just died really about... Uh, well, boy, my, it's 15 years ago, and he brought that first bluing job back to uh, Brownells now that it had really a 300,000 square foot of warehouse space and, and kind of commented how it's changed from my dad's bath, my dad's bedroom. So uh, he started as a gunsmith, like every gunsmith starts just tinkering and helping his buddies out. And it kind of blossoms into a into a business. And uh, from the, the skills that he had, my grandpa, as a writer, um, he could describe products and process and little how-to help for his friends, his other gunsmith friends out there to help them do a better job. His his mission really was to professionalize the gunsmith trade, not just through making products available, because that was difficult back in the day. You had to send your, by rail, you'd send, or frankly, by horseback, uh, your Winchester back to Winchester to get it fixed, or you'd send it to a a higher-end gunsmith. And what he wanted to do is bring all of the products that Winchester had at those locations, 
back to a big warehouse. Back then it was uh, the kitchen table and allow his buddies to order that right directly to it to get their jobs done in their, in their gunsmith shop. So then he started to create tools. Some of the things we take for granted today, like glass bedding, my grandpa helped invent that. Uh, cold bluing, grandpa helped invent that. Now the, the things that, that happened today in the gunsmith shop, my grandpa helped and was instrumental with a group of people of, of that era to develop those skills and those, that knowledge. He was a, he was a prolific light writer. He could write instructions and we still use some of them today and you can tell the difference. No offense there, but, uh, <laughs> his, his stuff is pretty good and it's still very lyrical and very informative and, uh, it's just easy reading. So he was a fantastic writer. Tie yeah. those two things together and, there was a catalog. Wow. Now I understand that, um, after the war ended, uh, I know Trinidad was one, but there were a number of gunsmithing schools that were opened up across the country. W- was that a kind of a, I don't know, a golden era of gunsmiths? I mean, you had so much interest in firearms, so many men coming back that may have never yeah. held one who came back being comfortable sleeping with one and all right. of a sudden, Everybody is an avid. Right. Is that kind of a, a period where Brownells really took off, or were you guys? Tell me about we did. that time. Yeah, so you're 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 on to something. How we had my goodness, it what was it? Thirty five percent of every male every male in the United States um, participated in World War II. So we had a lot of people coming out that were, to your point, real familiar with firearms, fixing them in the field. They knew what worked, what didn't work. We also had all those weapons coming back and being decommissioned and brought home to be fired. And that's when we started to have um, a lot of the uh, the competitions we look at today started to form up. And we we look at them and call it like Camp Perry, for example, really started to blossom with some of the precision rifle competitions, the pistol competitions, all born out of everybody that came out of the World War II era. There was a whole bunch of people that were uh, interested in the the firearm of the time, which was those who were decommissioned from World War II. Now, everybody that would shoot a, a Grand would tell you that it needs a lot of work to make it really shoot pers- right and uh, and have us make that into a precision rifle. And that's where my grandpa's skill set of developing product ideas and tools and being able to describe that to his friends really started to flourish. And that's where we had our first growth kick was right there, right around the 45 uh 46, 47. And the, and the catalog expanded quite a lot, focusing in on the grand, on, um, um, oh gosh, a lot of those weapons that were used in World War II, those, those semi-automatic rifles more than anything else. And the 45 started to take off then as well. Right. Which was the, the pistol that everybody wanted to, uh, to own was that 45 because it reminded us of all the, those that didn't go and those that followed. Yeah, uh, the World War II vets. We honored those people real well. Just wanted to look and, and act and be able to do the things that they did. And that forty-five represented that whole culture of kind of that maverick soldier that we uh, kind of still honor today. So the forty-five took off, and a lot of those secondary market producers that were young back then that started out in companies like Ed Brown, Bill Wilson. Uh, they were born about the end of war, but their skill set as a young competitor with the forty-five started to um, really resonate with uh, the next generation of uh, gun users and gun competitors. So Bill Wilson, Ed Brown, I can remember the conversations that my dad were having with those two well-known brands today about 
hey, you can, if you sell us the parts, maybe we can help, help cover some of your production costs while you make your custom guns. Um, and that worked and it worked, uh, worked well. So it's been a great partnership from some of these great brands we have today. Bushmaster DPMS came a little bit later, Vietnam era, uh, outcroppings. And again, those people, when they started off making quality guns in their garages, like Ed Brown did, Bill Wilson did, and they grew their businesses, DPMS, Randy Luth, uh, you know, uh, Bushmaster grew, um, through some of, some of the channels that we produce. So, and allow customers to buy all those products. So it's been, it's been a great, it's been a great run helping young entrepreneurs get product to market, helping build their brands with them. And they definitely do, uh, the Yeoman's work here. The deep, um, Magpul is another one, another one right after, uh, I know our, our desert conflicts there. Uh, we had a, a team guy come with a whittled piece of wood and said, what do you think of this? And we said, Oh, that's awesome. Can you produce these things? And he said, I think so. And now you have one of the more well-known brands out there with, with Magpul. Again, something that, uh, when we see a good product out there and it has merit, uh, we try to bring it to market. So all of our customers from the competitor to the hunter to the military soldier or police officer has a chance to, to use and have access to it. Still the same philosophy of, of my grandpa years ago. Well, you know, that, that kind of leads me to a, another question. So obviously your, your grandfather had a family. So when did your dad get involved in the business? <laughs> well, he would argue that, that he helped start the business because he would, he would have been the second child. And that's when my grandpa got serious about being a, uh, a provider of, for the family right there. So he moved my dad out of his crib. And started to use that space as his first gunsmithing area was right there in my dad's room way back in 39. So my dad and the business are the exact same age. <laughs> but he really came back after his, his time, uh, right, right after Korea and before Vietnam as a, as a naval officer, he came out of the Navy. Uh, and I think 61 is when he came into the, into the business and started to take the business from a company that adds maybe seven products a year to a company that now adds 1800 products a year. Wow. And, and yeah. And what's different about that time era is, uh, right around that Vietnam, the AR 15 came in and the 1911 really got its stride in custom, being able to be customized. And, and all those secondary products and product lines right around that Vietnam and post Vietnam era, um, the Ed Browns, the Bill Wilsons, the Bushmasters, there was a lot of other people that were making those secondary products. The 1022 started to get its stride on customization. He started to bring those, my dad started to bring those into the business and make those products available and helped make those brands more widely known to a lot of these gunsmiths out in the marketplace. And if you really think about it, um, as an end user, and I'll include myself as somebody who goes out and hunts and shoots and competes, I get a lot of my knowledge if I wasn't in the the business. I get a lot of my knowledge from shows like this, but most importantly, I get it from the gunship gunsmith shops out there. Right. So we knew that the biggest influencers in the marketplace are going to be that local gun person, that local gun shop. And that was something that uh, my grandpa started. My dad really understood real well. And uh, I came to appreciate during my 20 years now, my grandpa started it by saying, show me a town without a gunsmith and I'll show you a town without guns or without shooting. And he was true. I mean, think about the areas that don't have gunsmiths. Take a look at, say, Chicago. Uh, there's no gunsmiths there. You have the wrong kind of guns in Chicago. You don't. So now that they're allowing 
gunsmithing to happen and gun shops to open up, you're getting the right kind of influence in that town. Right. And, and, and we see that today as, as the, the nature of society has changed to be more regulatory. Um, the burdens of, uh, kind of, um, the social burdens of responsibility, they land on the gunsmiths and the gun shops desk to help train, uh, their local group on, uh, wise and safe use of firearms. So we, we try to provide them more and more products. And that's what my dad knew way back when that give them as much as possible, enough knowledge, enough product so they can, uh, serve the custom needs of their local marketplace. And that's, that's a tradition we followed. Only thing I've really added is the web, which allows it to go <laughs> all over the place like this show. Well, so tell me, tell me about your tenure. You said you've been with the company 20 years now. Um, and you know, just, you know, personally from my professional uh, experience, family businesses very often have trouble kind of making that transition from, you know, the founder to the second to the third generation. And, and it looks like you guys have avoided those pitfalls. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a saying that says, uh, rags to riches to rags, three generations. And, yep. and, um, it proves out more times than not. And hey, it's not easy working for family. I still look at my dad as that tyrannical 35, 45 year old that was telling me I couldn't take the car out after midnight. And he still looked at me as that. 18 year old guy who would be sneaking out driving the car all over the place at midnight. So we had to get through those dynamics of, of how individual we were and how much we've changed from those days from a, a father role, father son relationship to more of business partner relationship. And it's, it's not easy. And rags to riches to rags proves out when you can't make that transition. Right. When you still think of, uh, your dad in this case, my perspective as dad, not as boss and, when the boss says, here's how you need to look at it, he's not saying, you dirty little kid, quit stealing my keys. He's saying, I want the business to grow. And this time we have 500 employees. You got 500 families to think about and quit being so damn selfish. So when you get through those, those types of things that keep your business from growing, keep you growing as an individual, keep you from growing as an individual, you start to look at the business as a provider of, of opportunity for everybody not just for the family generation that's supposed to be in charge. Right. And when you break through that, and I give this recommendation to any family business, is that you're there to provide wealth and opportunity for all your employees, not just you, not just dad or the generation ahead of you, but all all people in your business. And when you can click and look at the world that way, all those, those uh, father-son, in this case, problems and discussions that you should have had years ago, they, they fall by the wayside because you have more important things to worry about, which is everybody working with you and for you. So think of that when you think about how difficult it is to uh, work with your parents or work with your, your, your son or daughter because it's, it's bigger than just you. And when you make that generational change and you make that, that thinking about how it's bigger than you, it's, it, um, it allows growth to happen. Well, absolutely. I, I actually, uh, my law partner is my father. Who's nearing yeah. retirement, but yes, I, I've, I've been through all of those stages. So Pete, tell me as you were getting to a point where picking a future was, uh, you know, you know, within your sights, were you a part of Brownells in a meaningful way as a young man, as a teenager, or did you go a roundabout way and find yourself 
in the middle of oh. Brown Owls and decide this is where your home ought to be? No, I didn't. I went to school, got out of Montezuma. Montezuma is a town of 1,200 people. And I couldn't wait to really stretch my wings. And that meant that I traveled 60 miles away to Iowa City. Not really a stretch. And so I, I ran, ran away from small town to experience a larger community. And from there, so for best five years of my college career was spent there. <laughs> and from there, I, I actually worked for a construction company as a subcontractor, elevators, escalators, those types of projects taught me how to work. I, I wasn't in the field, but I was managing the uh, the sales and the construction phase of some of the big projects. Miami Airport um, was a big project of mine down when I lived down in Miami. Really got to know a big city. Went out to San Francisco and did some projects out on San Francisco, out in the Bay Area. So I understand California. And then it was a family business. It was a five fifth generation family business. Montgomery Elevator at the time, and and they came in and were purchased by a very large organization. And we went from the uh, main focus of a family to a line item for a company that builds ships for multiple for countries. So we became a very small part. And um, I saw the transition from what a family-owned business could do to what a very large corporation does. And I looked around and I said, so I was, that was 10 years into that, into that career. And it was fun. Uh, spent time at South Beach, spent time in San Francisco. When, it, when San Francisco was a Silicon Valley and growing and when South Beach was going all upscale. So I saw the development of two critical areas of our, of our U.S. experience, um, in the church that time. But I saw how a company has a social responsibility to its, uh, to its employees and to its communities. And not saying that Kone, Kone was the company that bought it was was wrong it was just different and i realized that if you were going to make an impact on people's lives you needed to do it with the things you could control and i thought that a family business was the way to do it then this so happens that had this nice little family business back in montezuma iowa town of 1200 so uh it was at that moment my dad was saying well is any of my kids going to come back and run this thing and kind of like well no i better position it to be sold and this was back in 96, 95. And I said, well, time out a second. Let me, let's have a serious discussion. Let me interview for a, a job with you. So I had to go through the interview process and had to be vetted and, uh, came in at, uh, a, uh, marketing director. So at that time we only had one director and that was me. We other, we had other, other people in, in marketing, but I had to learn how to do catalog at the time. Growing up in, by my career in, in construction during the heyday of Silicon Valley, I kind of heard of this thing called the web. And, and we came out, actually, uh, my wife, who was a, uh, my, my bride to be, we hatched a plan to open up brownells.com, uh, because my dad didn't necessarily believe that these crudgy old gunsmiths aren't going to, no one's going to look at the web. I don't look at the web. Therefore, no one's going to look at the web. So we we had com for a full year before my dad realized we had a website because he wasn't going to make that jump. Uh, so we had to prove it. So I, you know, I was, I was brought up with, you've got to prove your idea and argue for it. And, um, I knew it was the right thing to do. So as I took my experiences on construction management and sales and, and all my buddies out at, in the Silicon Valley were saying, you've got to have a website. It's the wave of the future. And, 
So in 97, we launched brownells.com, and in 98, my dad realized we had a website. Wow. And that's how, and that's what really opened the door for, uh, some of the bigger growth spurts we've had. Well, so right now, are you as big as you want to be? Is there more growth ahead of Brownells that you guys are going to be comfortable with? Yeah, we are just wrapping up the expansion of a 200,000 square foot distribution center in Grinnell, Iowa, 20 miles away. We're still in Iowa, still kept a, a footprint here. Um, and that has some space to grow into. So we're going to continue to expand. We, we've expanded into Europe. So a lot of the European customers have the same desire for small parts, but there's, there's a regulatory hurdle to get over that kind of constricts or, or restricts through regulations, export licenses, import licenses. The State Department gets involved in the things that we sell here and the, the business that we're in. State, the State Department regulates the majority of it, and that's just not regulated by state. It's regulated by the Commerce Department. So there's a hurdle to get over to Europe. Right. So we found a, a good way to get to Europe. So we're growing in that area. We have uh, we uh, have a relationship with a company called Crow Shooter Supply, which is a wholesaler. That's the companies that supply uh, shooting ranges, the uh, the shields, the Cabela's, the Dicks, the Bath wholesale channel, and um, that that business is growing pretty well. And we also have uh, Sinclair International, which is Precision Rifle, and the most recent acquisition was uh, Gamel or Gamaliel. It's it's a company that that focuses in on the precision shotgun or or competitive shotgun sports, and they do a fantastic job. And and in all of those acquisitions, what we were really buying was not just the market presence, but but we were going back to that philosophy of the family-owned business. We wanted companies that exemplified the values that we look as very important in our in our industry, which are family values. And we look for people that. It really exemplified that. And in every one of those acquisitions, we, we got, uh, great people that came along with it. That was almost a mandatory that it's not just here's what looks great on the balance sheet and the income statement. It's here's what these people exude as far as our values. So it's been, uh, it's been fantastic to do that. Uh, it's been fantastic to help grow their business as well as ours and help all the employees involved have a great, safe, well lit, place to have some opportunity for their own growth. Um, so yeah, we, we're still growing and it's more product. It's more, more product lines. So this emergency sur- survival gear, that's a product line that's, that's starting to grow real well. Archery, we're still waiting for the big breakout. Uh, but yeah, we're going to grow. We've got other opportunities that kind of continue to line up that fit kind of that values in small business and, and distribution model. And we're looking for them every day. Well, that's awesome. Let me ask you a question, Pete. So you mentioned the desert conflicts. Um, I think that the bulk of uh, those young uh, men and women who are involved are, are being cycled back to the States. I think we're going to probably maintain a footprint for some time. But do you think that that wave of men and women is the going to provide the same driving force that those returning veterans from World War II, the ones that came back from Korea, the ones that came back from Vietnam, are going to provide today that those veterans provided then, driving the sport, driving interest, driving growth? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. It may not be to the same magnitude because a 
a statistic, one per, one and a half percent of the population of America, that's still 32 to 40 million people, however you count, uh, America's population, be somewhere in there, were involved in the military during that 10 year time. And, um, as you rotate that number through, you're probably looking at about 70 million total people. That's a big population base in the United States. Back in Vietnam or in uh, World War II, it was 35%. That's still back when we were really 100 million people back then. That's still 35 to 40 million. So today there's more people than there were back then coming out of the, uh, the military. Mm-hmm. So there's a big base of people coming in, uh, and we see it right now. And what we see is that there's uh, it's gender balanced. So yeah. we see a lot of young female people coming into the sport just like their counterparts uh from that same conflict uh military and that conflict zone. They're AR shooters that are excellent. There's there's and we're sponsoring a couple of them. Uh there are pistol shooters that I would never want to shoot against cuz they would just clean me off the off the uh the range. There's some they're ex, they're on par. There is to me I don't look at this is one great sport where the gender differences are minimal, if not non-existent, and and it's fantastic to see an emerging uh, group where we can have um, equality out the range. It's fantastic to see, and and that also uh, opens up the doors to um, the the young women and the daughters out there and uh, the grandmas out there who didn't feel like it was their place to raise their hand and say, "Hey, I need some help," because there's people just like them right. that are leading the path and leading the way. And we see that in the ever increasing amount of, uh, women getting involved in personal protection classes, getting their first personal carry permit, um, getting out for girls day at the range, you know, and shoot like a girl really means something these, this time around. They're, it's fantastic to see that. So that's one good benefit out of, um, a lot of these, uh, retiring or, uh, coming back to stateside vets that we see. And they, they bring a fantastic dynamic to this industry, one that I really enjoy. And we also see a lot of the uh, AR-15 creativity coming out uh, out of the, uh, the military people coming back and saying, here's what right. works, here's what didn't, because they really test that stuff. They test it hard. So it's it's a great dynamic to see. Well, so, you know, the, the show itself does not focus on on political issues uh, as a a rule of thumb does brownells as a company step forward for its customers for the gunsmiths for the industry and and try to get involved in a meaningful way or or do you stand behind the kind of the the front running uh, entities that do that uh, as far as the the political side of things go well, um, we do both. There, there's, I would say three major organizations out there, starting with the NRA, of which I am the uh, first vice president of the NRA in line to be the president of the NRA in about two years. So we stand up there shoulder to shoulder with Wayne LaPierre and Chris Cox, uh, sometimes, but, and most definitely as the, uh, the leadership chairs in the NRA, uh, we stand there, uh, to support them, make sure that that they have what they need to get the job done to protect a personal right to, to own firearms. So we're definitely involved in the NRA, and we've we've helped um, fund some scholarships and some foundation work that helps youth uh, get a good experience with firearms, their first 
So the big youth programs out there, uh, we want we want youth to understand what safety is, what respect and responsibilities of firearm ownership is all about. So the Brownell Foundation has done that. So monetarily, we do that. We monetarily support law enforcement training because we want we want to have a safe America, and we feel that an armed America is a safe America. We also believe that a well-trained America, both civilians and law enforcement, is a safe America. So we stand behind that, both with our dollars and with the positions we hold uh, in NRA. Uh, NSSF, which is the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is really the, the one for industry people, um, we stand up with them as well and help support their mission on making sure that the, uh, the commerce and firearms is free from burden. And that would be, uh, and we kind of work with Choke Point and the NRA, Choke Point, NSSF, trying to get that lined up, trying to help the, with the NSSF's presence and the NRA's presence, some of the ATF overreach things, like this green tip was one right. of those things that those two organizations jumped on right away. Um, what other issues are coming up? There's one right now about, uh, these international hunters. If you're going to Canada right now, there's a whole, mess of things that need to happen, which you didn't have to jump through before. Actually, you have to become a felon to do it correctly, according to the uh, State Department. And we're trying to unravel those types of, you know, there, there's some kernel of why they, why the State Department or the Commerce Department or Customs may ask these questions or ATF may do it, but sometimes their deployment is wrong. I think the green tip, absolutely wrong. I think this export travel with personal firearms, Something of interest is there, but I think they deployed it wrong. So those two organizations try to help, and we're involved in them trying to understand how to best get the laws so we can still be free Americans, not have a burdensome commerce hurdles to jump through. Right. Um, the attacks on lead and hunting and access to hunting and uh, are, aren't burdensome. So if we want to go out and shoot, we want to go out and hunt, we don't have all these hurdles to jump through. And here, you know, here's an example in Missouri. For hunters, if you didn't have an orange sticker on your barrel as you look down this, it said, "Remember to be safe." That was a that was a violation down there, and DNR could grab your. They could charge you. That's what it was for. But they could seize all those firearms. So the NRA got and said, "Hey, look, that's ridiculous. That's just overburdensome type of law." So we also work with DNR so they understand how their actions impact hunting because it's a big. Yeah, remember. Uh, that's the other thing we work with is, is, um, uh, personally, locally, Pheasants Forever is a great one for access to land, right. but also the Sportsman's Caucus, which is to help legislatures understand the, in, the intent of keeping America free, of being able to go hunt, to be able to go shoot, and how public lands play into that, and how their policies sometimes hamper that, or how they can make a change in some of the rulemakings to open that up. So, yeah, we get up there shoulder to shoulder with a lot of the people in the industry to make sure that Every one of you guys uh, and girls have a uh, have a free America to exercise your Second Amendment. Oh, I think that's so, pretty awesome. I mean, that's a long that's a long speech, but uh, we really stand up and do that. Not just me, but everybody in the business. And I can also say many, many people in the industry do as well. Well, you know the the listeners um, who I guess are uh, not local to you um, don't realize that you have a. Uh, uh, you have a walk-in facility now, right? Yeah. And um, well, yeah. That's go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, go go ahead and tell us about that. I mean, this is part of the move, right? Yeah, the part of the move. We we sell to anybody that has a firearm. So consumers, 
uh, hunters again buy from us. Um, and there's a lot of pickup. I mean, just walk in and pick up uh, your order and you can pre-order. You can order right there at the door. And the thing is you get to sit down and go through your problem with the tech, uh, a gunsmith. I think we have 14 gunsmiths that work for us now full time and they don't do gunsmithing, but they help you figure out what the right product is, how, what the right process um, and they help you troubleshoot your, your, uh, your, your situation. What are you looking for? And here's really the best, here's really the best solution for you. So we try to customize the whole experience. And the walk-in, uh, in Montezuma was this really kind of a small room. And what we want to do is expand it into, uh, more of an experience. So you could come in and almost browse the ammunition, the guns, the optics, the, uh, some of the accessories. Here's some how-to things you need to think about. So we have, we have almost a learning center. It's a showroom learning center where eventually, not right away, we're going to get all the digital things you can uh, to help you get your project done or under- identify what you need for your home gunsmithing project or your cleaning project or your survival project, but then also to have some classes where you understand how to use this stuff, maybe in the field or on the bench, how to, how to you know, even how to tear down an AR-15. Sometimes that's a little intimidating. So we just want to give people the... Here's how you do it and do a little hands on. So this retail space is not going to be jam packed with clothes. It's going to be jam packed with education and jam packed with how to's. Cause that's really, that's really what we're about is making sure that you have the right things in your hand when you go out to hunt or shoot or yeah, you, you know, we want to be pretty serious about what firearms safety is about and what firearms cleaning is about and what, what fun is about. So right. that's what this place is about. Now. Do you think, or are you willing to go on record as saying that this is something that you might begin to expand across the country? That you might have <laughs> brick and mortar facilities in other cities where, uh, your patrons can go? And you know, well, I, I say this as a man from Texas. It's yeah. a pretty far piece to go to, to, to visit <laughs> my favorite, uh, gun supply store then. What, what I'm, here's an interesting project that I think got us kicked off on how opening up a store. Five years ago, we, we had a, a project with, um, uh, Trinidad to have a third year to their two year program. And that was about understanding how to do business as a gun shop. And it dawned on us that maybe the best place to have that is going to be right here in Montezuma or in Grinnell in this case. So there was a local community college that opened up a gunsmithing, um, two year program. And what we want to do to your point is bring in many of these recent grads to understand the retail aspect of gunsmithing and the gun shop to train them how to interface with with uh, customers to work with the local gunsmiths and in the same pool of of young graduates so they understand how to do gunsmithing or uh, as an ongoing career and then we take those people and we place them in Texas so we so so a Texas gunsmith or a gun shop has an already broken in gunsmith right. or a retail desk. Cause it's the learning curve is great in gunsmith. You can't go from zero to hero in three years. It takes a while. And we want to make sure we, we provide that student or that potential new gunsmith or retail desk person with as broad a knowledge as possible and a broad experience as possible. So when they go out to Texas or Colorado or Maine, that they're going to be a producer for that gun shop right away. So that's so we're not going to have Brownells East, Brownells West, Brownells Texas. Sorry, but we want to make sure that we have 
a well-trained gunsmith that can go out there and be a positive addition to that your local gun shop. Because again, it's, it's, um, your, your local gun culture is, is really being impacted and directed by your local gun shop. And we want to make sure that they're really driving good quality safety messages out there, good quality work out there, and that they're producing, uh, a good experience for that hunter or that competitor or that safe self-protection person in that shop. If you have successful gun shops, every, all, all boats will rise. Right. That's one aspect. The other aspect is we want to learn how to do, uh, better, what it's like to be a, one of our customers. So this play, this, this shop is independent. How is it to do business with Brownells? And when, when the boss of this show is also the boss of that show and there's a problem, it's going to get worked out. Right. So hopefully the, the experience to our gunsmith and our gun shop customers out there improves. We also want to learn with what works. Yeah. So, uh, we, so it drives sales and then we want to share that and make it less expensive, I should say, or more productive for our gun shops to have this body of knowledge that they can teach, they can take for, uh, use in their own shops, which would be like the videos, the how to's, right? Um, all that stuff that makes the experience a Brownells experience. If we can allow a gun shop to do that, no matter where they are in the world, and they can benefit from it, that rises all boats. So again, I, I love the small independent American dream story. Cause that's how my grandpa started. And the more we can provide that out there in the field, the better for, uh, for America. So that's why we're doing this. Well, you know, that brings up a, a question. I've got an in-law who, uh, married a, a favorite great aunt and, uh, he's a, an outfitter and a gunsmith, a graduate of Trinidad and in a discussion out in a cabin, uh, a while back, we, uh, he was lamenting that the, the gunsmithing programs are closing. They're becoming scarcer. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've seen? Is that something that you worry about? You know, what I hear, I see that the gunsmithing schools are, there's, maybe I'll counter that a bit. There's gunsmithing schools out there that are popping up, but the level of gunsmithing that's being taught is different. Where we were working on fitting a gun stock to a uh, an action, we were glass bedding it. That's where my grandpa made his name was in glass bedding. Uh, the the the, mili- the techniques for manufacturing are, are so much better today that the tolerances are extremely tight. So instead of custom fitting, where you need to understand form, function, and and how to get things to work in the gun shop, the manufacturing techniques are improved such that it's more about diagnosing the problem and understanding where to get that replacement part and what kind of replacement part is going to get the job done. And then there's just a little bit of custom fitting instead of taking a, a piece of metal and cutting off a, you know, a hammer out of that. You don't do that as much anymore. So it's changed drastically from back when, when uh, Trinidad started, it was a custom rifle shop. Now there's Pennsylvania school of trade or Pennsylvania does that real well. Trinidad's extent, um, high end, Education does that real well. That's about it. Everybody else is worrying about form function, um, learning how to be productive in the gun shop today and not to diminish the work that's being done out there by any match because it's still phenomenal, but it's more about how to custom fit and get, get that jump start through, you know, places like Brownells and other parts suppliers. Um, you got that jump start because you have all this available material to you. You don't have to start from a chunk of wood off a tree and uh, a chunk of metal. 
anymore. And you, so you don't learn heat treating as, as well as you did. You don't learn how to, how to ditto a, a stock anymore. Right. You learn, you learn the step beyond that. And which is not necessarily less gunsmithing. It's just different gunsmithing. Absolutely. I will tell you though, the, the romantic in me, my father's a lawyer, but he grew up a coal miner. Spent a couple yeah. of years in the mines to let him know that he didn't need to be doing that long term. But my kin, they work with their hands. You know, I grew up in the middle of a city and, and working in a machine shop were things that I didn't get the opportunity to do. So to me, the, the kind of the romantic idea of, you know, taking a, you know, piece of bar stock and turning it into a barrel of, of taking an old Mauser action and working it over till it's, you know, shooting whatever caliber you chamber it to and, you know, just, you know, hitting Nats wings. Those are the things that the romantic side of me thinks is what gunsmithing should be. Right. Right. And, and there's still some really good gunsmiths out there that do that. But, you know, there's a, yeah, there's an old joke that says, what's the difference between a pizza and, and a gunsmith? And the answer is a pizza can feed a family. <laughs> so the gunsmith needs to learn the, all that, that bulk of that, uh, of those skill sets yeah. that maintain firearms, diagnose firearms, do the parts change or the quick things. So that allows them the foundation to do exactly what you're talking about, which is the romantic stuff of mm-hmm. the perfect, uh, wood, uh, perfectly polished or color cased steel and, uh, just making that old Winchester sing. So. So it's both of those skills are needed to be really good gunsmiths today. Well, so Brownells is in a unique place right now, and, and you guys have really kind of grown into a number of uh, aspects of the market that, in my recollection, are probably not much more than a decade old. Um, right now, what are the really just kind of, Phenomenally exciting things that you guys have going on in the, the, the inside of Brown Owls. You know, two years ago, it was the AR 15 was the fantastic thing. And then it was the, uh, of course, uh, this new building today, the market is back down to kind of a normal market. So it's a lot of little things that are, that are happening. It's really distribution for us. It's a more automated system which means you can things will kind of go through the system faster, more accurately. So we're trying to get to zero errors, and, and I'm sure we'll have some, but zero errors uh, and get it done quickly uh, because, you know, it's no joke. <laughs> if I would have wanted this fixed tomorrow, I would have come in tomorrow type of joke. So customer wants something today. They order it today. They want it today. They're just tolerating that somebody can ship, it only takes a day to ship. So we want to be able to get things out same day. And that means more speed as we grow, we need to scale. So a new warehouse, new systems for, for, uh, getting things out quicker. So that's kind of exciting for us. International, pretty exciting for us. We have a lot of, a lot of European and, and Australia and South Africa, uh, customers who are saying we want everything Brown House can get domestically. Well, Getting that figured out has been a, quite a jigsaw puzzle. So that's exciting, figuring that out. We have a, a new program called the Edge program, which is Brownell's Edge, which is a, it's a, well, really what it is, is if you, if you know about Prime with Amazon, that's really what this is. It's, it's starting off as a shipping program where basically $49 and it's free shipping on every order that, that year. And that's, you know, sometimes bullets are heavy, so it's yeah. a good deal. So it's, uh, 
it's a program that's that's doing real well for us, and I would encourage everybody out there to take a look at it at least, Brownell's Edge. Um, it's going to grow into some other things. So you also get first peek at whatever comes in that, you know, we know it's kind of hot. So 22 ammo, it's kind of hot right now. You get first peek at that stuff before it sells out. So edge members are going to get first look, free shipping. Um, I think we're still running a discount or a, uh, a promo on it. I think uh, you get in line for an Ed Brown pistol, I think. Oh, really? Is that what it is? STI, I'm sorry. Another good name. STI pistol. So a lot of good things happening on the edge program. Gosh, what else? Uh, we're doing a 308 magazine. So, yeah, we, yeah. Yep, so we've got that out there. Um, we did the, uh, 223 magazine about eight, nine years ago as a contract with the, uh, with the army. And now it's, it's, uh, we're doing a 308 mag. So that's coming out. Let's see what else we got. Uh, got an M16 barrel, um, 16A1 barrel. Chrome line barrels. It's kind of the AR-15 accessory stuff, that core stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a bolt. See, a bolt's always first thing that goes out on on parts when AR-15s go hot and they're and they're just flying off the shelf. The very first thing in the aftermarket that goes is the bolt and the bolt carrier, more specifically. So we're making sure that that doesn't happen to us again. It's happened four times in the last twenty years. So and we know it'll happen again. So we're trying to get the, kind of the core components for those custom AR builders uh, in stock and, and more controlled. And then it's working. So it's a good time to get involved in the AR market for us. Um, well, let me ask you a question. So on, on the products that Brownells is manufacturing, are these, is, is manufacturing necessarily Brownells opening facilities where you control the components of production or are you, Entering in with partnerships with people that can provide the kind of um, room for the production you need. Are you going to bring production in house if it isn't? Tell me, tell me about that. So I can tell you, we suck at that manufacturing. <laughs> so we really, we really want to partner with people who know who they are and they know manufacturing. We know who we are, and I've learned over the last twenty years, over a couple of false starts, that we're not a manufacturing facility. We don't know it. We don't understand it. Culturally, we're not. So we like to partner up with those people who already are manufacturers because they know it. Their whole culture is built around it. And, uh, it would be a huge shift for us to get into manufacturing. And then, and it would be a disservice to both employees who are distribu- distribution minded and those that we're trying to turn into manufacturing minded. So it, it'd just be bad medicine. We do partner up with as many local players as possible. Uh, a magazine is a, is a local manufacturer and, and he's fantastic with that kind of work, the stamping, the welding, uh, the, how they work with ferrous metals. So he's fantastic at that. So we, I would, I don't want to say partner up, but we truly are intellectually partners. Um, but we own the intellectual property. Right. And that's really where we, we think our, our skill set is, 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 is somewhat in the design in the intellectual property, uh, for the manufacturing facilities. So they're not stuck with anything and they do what they're great at, which is manufacture. And our job is to sell it and make sure that it continues to keep their machines uh, running. So we like we like partnerships in that area better, much better than actually ownership, because we don't do well there. Well, and, and we oh, go ahead, Pete. No, and and we realize that we're not good at that. So uh, uh, and these partners are all over the the nation, frankly. So um, again, it's still mom and pop 
entrepreneurial American dream type of type of culture. We like that. Well, so I believe you mentioned um, before we got started that uh, this year seems to be the year of the AR accessory. So with your intellectual property approach and uh, the partnerships you've made, do you see Brownells coming in uh, in a more specific way, providing uh, MLOC components, key mod components, um, uh, providing some of that gap where the demand for those things that you see keeps everybody's inventory at zero or back order um, to kind of take the pressure off. Our, our first, our first look is to see what, what partner out there is the best one. I shouldn't say partner. I should, cause that connotates the wrong thing. Who is doing the best work out there that just may need a little bump? Say, um, say we have a, a synthetic stock idea. We'd first go to Magpul because we don't want to compete with Magpul. We don't want to compete with Ed Brown, Bill Wilson, STI, uh, uh, DPMS, right? We don't want to compete with the great people, partners we have in the supply chain. So if we see a gap out there, we'll first go into, um, a, maybe an exclusive with a already existing supplier like ER Shaw. You know, there's, we have Shaw barrels. We'll have a DPMS widget, uh, because it helps them get over their investment curve. And then they can go to the market and they're providing a great brand identifying item for their brand. And we have first distribution look at it. And then after that, all boats rise again and, um, and the customer benefits from it. So we'll first go there. And if there's, if there's something that the customer or the uh, supplier isn't willing, the customer really still wants it, uh, then we come into uh, where we'll take a look at it. Now, if it's a, if it's a mil spec product, AR15 mag is one of those. Um, we just didn't see a, a mil spec partner out there who wanted to take on the project. So we'll, we did it. And I, I think, frankly, I think we produced one of the better mil spec metal mags out there. Uh, cause, and the soldiers would stand by it. So we wanted a zero failure rate for that one. Same with the 308. If they're going to be used in the arena of war, there's, there's zero, zero defects allowed. That means lives. We take that same that same mentality when we talk about other things. Uh, we're known for tools, so we we try to develop tools. And when there's uh, somebody out there who's already got like a line of tools, like um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of a couple of players out there where we'll give some idea and, and we interchange ideas back and forth. Um, drawing a complete blank. Who's it's got the, the curly mustache? <laughs> Bill Lawford, cylinder and slide. Great design guy. So Bill will have a good idea and we'll say, yeah, we think that has market. And Bill, Bill's got a great market direct as well. So, right. so a little interchange there. Uh, and, and we'll help with, those, with that type of stuff and we'll help distribute. But we want to be the one known for tools and, and we'll develop a lot of those things. Now I'll tell you, my stepfather has a, a set of Brownells, uh, screwdrivers. And, uh, yep. he, uh, has had them for years and, uh, he, uh, used to do the gun show circuit and his number one rule was you cannot borrow my screwdrivers. Right. <laughs> Keep your hands off my tools, right? <laughs> well, that was a philosophy from way back when you get what you pay for. And, yeah. uh, so uh, we're unapologetic about the quality and as such the price, but we guarantee it forever. So 
if there's any nicks, scratches, or broken tips on your grandfather's or father's screwdriver set, we replace it, no questions asked. You know, I so, think that's a phenomenal position to take as a company. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're going to put out junk, you can't make that promise, but we want to put out good quality stuff. Just because <laughs> the first time that you booger up a screw on a, on somebody's gun and it leaves a good gouge in the action, you got a lot of explaining to do, <laughs> both as a supplier and as a gunsmith. So we want to make sure it's good quality stuff. So, Well, tell me, what else exciting is uh, at Brownells going on that you want to let our listeners know about? Because uh, we're always uh, we're always tuning the Brownells horn, but uh, well, I appreciate it. Let me let me take a look. We get to go straight to the top today. Yeah. Oh, we got a new website that we're working on. Maybe that's that's where we're working on a new website. One of the biggest critiques that we get is, "Man, this is awesome." We have one hundred ten thousand items to choose from, and it's, "Man, this is awesome," but you didn't. I couldn't find this, whatever it is, and there's. 10 different things that or 10 different ways to name one thing. And we got to figure that out. So the customer finds the right thing at the right time. And, and our website needs a, it always needs improvement. Right. So we're working on a new website and uh, we're what, working on an inter, international websites in local languages too, and local pricing. When do you think so, that'll be uh, rolling out? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll so, take that back. <laughs> I, uh, it'll be sometime in 20, 16, probably. <laughs> okay. We're promising it's going to be quick, but man, I've been through this four or five times and it's always longer than, than you think. So, uh, we want to, we want to do it after, uh, the big sell season, which is basically a year from now. We wow. want to do it right. Yeah, That's so, awesome. Yeah. It should be pretty cool. And you'll see if it won't be a ta-da, here it is. It'll be a, Kind of a, a blended release because that's, that's the best way to do it. Add a new feature, new feature, new feature. And all of a sudden a year from now, it looks totally different. Well, I want to tell you when I get on to the website, I'm, I'm usually looking for components and I've bought some, some lower receivers. So I know that you guys handle the FFL side of things. Is there going to ever be a time when Brownells is going to be an end user stop for a full firearm? You know, there, yeah, there will be. And that's a delicate, that's a delicate, um, line to, cause we want to make sure that that local gun shop is still well supported. We don't ever want to compete with them. So selling firearms direct, we've got to make sure that it, it still supports that local gun shop. And there's ways to do it. Um, but we've got ideas. We just want to make sure it's well thought out and very respectful right. in, the, in the process of the local gun shop. And we're real critical about about uh, our actions that impact the local gunsmith. And then we don't make those decisions lightly. So we got to make sure it's going to work. At our retail store, we're, we're trying to figure out how to do that, hopefully, yet this this year. Well, you know, Pete, I want to tell you that in, in, in our conversation, one thing has really struck me about everything that you've said and everything that you've represented about Brownells, and it's that idea of corporate responsibility that, as a good corporate citizen, uh, it's not always about making sure the pockets are lined as best you can. And it just seems to me that um, what you've been able to do for 76 years now is 76, right? Yeah, 76. Is make sure that you're benefiting not just 
the people that work for you, but the people who buy from you, the industry that thrives because of you, and all of the people that are associated with it. And, you know, honestly, I think that's one of the big reasons why I appreciate being able to tell our listeners about Brownells and everything that you guys did. Uh, thanks for saying that. It's, um, you know, family values are critical to success. It, you know, it's taken 76 years to be an overnight success. It'll take another 76 to become a real success. And if you falter on values once, it all comes crashing down. So, you know, it's, that you're built on the, on the shoulders of giants. And if you betray those values that it started off with, you're going to be, you're going to fall pretty far and pretty hard. So we never want to, we never want to trade in our values. And, and we realize that it's the people that matter the most, not, not the balance sheet. So that's what we try to exemplify every day. We don't always walk away successful with that, but we certainly try. Well, Pete, that is awesome. So, uh, I, I want to leave you with the last word. Um, what do you want to tell our listeners about Brownells or anything related to the gun world? That's open-ended. Let me see. I would say that uh, go outside, exercise your Second Amendment with your family, go pull a trigger at the range, take somebody new out and show them the joy of the outdoors, put your cell phone, your iPhone away, don't, don't take it out of the car, and just enjoy being with friends and family outside hunting or fishing or competing or enjoying the outdoors. All right. Uh, listeners, we're proud to have uh, been able to bring you Pete Brownell. Thank you, Pete. We appreciate you yeah. coming on. Take care. Well, guys, we're back from the break. Um, I had an awesome time interviewing Pete Brownell. I, I think he is a... Uh, 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 Prince Among Men, uh, just an excellent, uh, executive and, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to hear that he's going to be rotating into the, uh, uh, presidency of the, uh, NRA here. So, uh, I think it's going to be, a, an awesome, uh, experience to, to watch, uh, uh, Pete Brownell, uh, step into that role and kind of lead the NRA, uh, in, in this next little bit. Yeah, for sure. That could only be a good thing for the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be amazing. So, um, <clears throat> Otis Technology has provided us some awesome stuff. And you, our listeners, have been getting out to our Facebook site. And, uh, has it, Anthony, has it been, uh, what's the picture thingy that we're affiliated with? Is it not Google? What's the, Oh, Instagram? Instagram. Yeah, we haven't, there you go. Yeah, we haven't moved over to Instagram yet. We've been sticking to Facebook. Oh, uh, I'll transition okay. to Instagram shortly. Yeah. So we've had you guys uh, get on Facebook and uh, like our pictures. And so this week, we want to let you know that for the April 20 giveaway, Eric Strong is going to get some goodies out of the grab bag. So we had uh, Chad Godin. Uh, he got our uh, MSR kit for March. And Mike Moore got an MSR kit for April. And so, uh, Michael Sheldon, Nathan Sanders, Eric Strong, you guys get some goodies out of the grab bag. And so we do want to get some information and, uh, 
Anthony, who do we have addresses for right now? Is it just Chad? Yeah, that's the only one we've actually got addresses for. Um, we discussed this the other, um, the other last couple of weeks. Um, because we haven't been able to get addresses for a lot of guys, um, we're asking them to uh, contact us. Some of the guys we can't actually message on Facebook. Some of them are not responding to the messages. Uh, they go into your other folder on Facebook. Um, some people don't check that. Maybe they don't get on Facebook that much. They got on, you know, long enough to go in and like and share the picture and then they're not getting back on or something along those lines. So, uh, we're asking them to contact us on Facebook. Um, so you guys, if you have, has seen your name announced, um, we're posting it on Facebook as well. So we're asking you guys to contact us on Facebook. Um, we're also sending you a message, but we're asking you to contact us back on Facebook as well. Yep, that's how we know that your neighbor isn't claiming your kit. Exactly. I'm sure your neighbor would really like to have it. Um, well, JW, Anthony, maybe we can figure out a way to post a ever-increasing list of winners at the top of the Facebook page and not have that look annoying. I don't know. We'll see. Or you can just send send me the case of them, and I could probably find a place to put them. Um, yeah, yeah. There's always that. All right, guys. You heard JW. You better write in. Let us uh, know what your address is, or JW is going to dispense with them accordingly. Yeah. So we want to remind you that the fine folks at Otis Technology have sent over just a mountain of rifle maintenance tools and cleaning kits for the AR-15 and AR-10s. Uh, we've been tasked with giving them away, so watch for the special posts on Facebook and soon Instagram to get a chance to win some of the awesome products made by Otis Technology. So we'll be giving away a complete MSR cleaning kit in either 5.56 or 7.62 in the middle of each month up until Christmas when we'll give away a complete Otis Technology Elite Cleaning System to one lucky winner. And so during the alternating weeks, we'll be giving away a host of Otis tools and cleaning supplies and very soon here, we're going to be getting the Otis Star Chamber cleaning tool. So anybody who's tried to clean the chamber to your AR understands the pain that we've all gone through. So Otis is trying to address that. It's a dark, dirty place. It is. All right. So let's crawl out of those dark, dirty places and get back to some feedback where we can... uh See what's been going on with the listeners lately. I know it's been kind of a crazy, crazy, hectic, uh, what, four weeks? We've had NRA show. We've had everybody just going hither and yon doing this and that. And so let's kind of touch base. So, uh, Anthony, uh, why don't you uh, start off here with the beginning? Yeah, we had this posted on Facebook actually about, um, oh, half an hour ago. So made it in just before we started recording the show. Um, Tim C posted uh, on our Facebook page. I heard Anthony talking about the CMC triggers. He says he bought one of their flat ones for $150, uh, for the $150 deal at last year's show. I love it. When I found out this year's deal was $130, I bought another one as fast as I could get my credit card down. Trigger for trigger, their trigger and price can't be beat. So yeah, I got a chance to stop by the CMC booth at the NRA show and I liked it. I really liked that flat trigger and it was really nice. Um, and I got a chance to go to the range this weekend and my uh, trigger finger did remember um, the CMC trigger quite a bit. And I have to say it was much nicer than my factory trigger. I really did like it quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. <clears throat> Ken wrote in a while back about uh, not being able to get some of the old back catalog. 
So we have been feverishly downloading the old back catalog onto a local unit. And we're going to see about putting some of those uh, compilations on a thumb drive. So for anybody who's interested in getting one of our thumb drives with the entire back catalog, why don't you express your interest? Uh, Anthony, what would be the most technologically savvy way of doing that? Email, Facebook, like something? Um, probably just send an email. Oh, no, Honestly, no, no, no. that may be the easiest way. I'm going to have you go to a something on Facebook, so you can like it, and that'll give us a just a rough idea of who likes the idea of getting a thumb drive with uh, 122 episodes of me listening to myself talk. Um, All righty. Uh, let's see. JW, you want to take the next one here? Yeah, um, this is from Nathan D.Y., he says, hey, guys, I wanted to point out that in episode 121, you talked about the NRA show being like a gun show and people can buy guns. Uh, he says that actually you cannot buy, sell, or trade guns at the NRA show. You can, however, buy accessories and place orders for accessories there. The firing pins are even removed from all the firearms on display. I just wanted to point that out because some people think it's just a gun show. Great podcast as always, and thanks for what you do. Well, thanks for writing in, Nathan. We strive for accuracy. Uh, that's my fault. I I, uh, I thought I might have heard a couple of guys talking about purchasing, but they probably were talking about arranging for purchases. Like I'll um I'll be buying off your website or something like that. But everybody was buying so many accessories, um, and I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, plus all of almost the no sleep because of our really scary house. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that I got it wrong. Thank you for correcting it. Appreciate it. All right. So Jamie H. says he's been listening to the podcast for over a year, and he finds it one not to miss. Uh, he's taken a local gunsmithing course and has decided to build another AR. He's built several carbine ARs in the past, uh, so he wants to build an 18-inch SPR type of weapon. He says he's having issues finding a barrel. Please advise me on my options. You know, I think the SPR in its 18-inch rifle-length gas system is... Not a unicorn, per se, but it's one of the harder configurations to find. And, and I think it's probably because there are so few people that are going that route. Uh, JW, have you tried to find one? No. Um, I think all my, like, Title One, is that what it is? Title One, Title Two. Title my, my non-SBR guns are all 14 and a halfs. Um, I haven't really went the long route. I know a couple guys that have um, Mark 12 builds, but yeah, I mean, it, if I wanted something to really reach out and touch somebody, I'd probably go with a bigger caliber um, and do like an AR-10 style build with a 308. Um, but if if you want a precision gun, you can definitely get that with a 556. Um, I know the 20-inch barrels are pretty popular uh, for that sort of thing. But um yeah, I mean, the the big manufacturers do 18-inch guns. You can probably yeah. get a, a Colt or Daniel Defense or something like that with an 18-inch on it. And, you know, I'm thinking that with the Brownells and their new lineup of AR barrels, um, I think they have an 18-inch with a rifle-length gas system. You know, of course, 
whether or not it's in stock is another issue, but, you know, certainly I think that Brownells is a good starting point. Um, I think, uh, if you go to the higher end, you're probably going to find, uh, plenty of people that will go that route. Once again, stock may be an issue, but, um, if a uh, push comes to shove, I'd, I'd go with the custom and, uh, order one to your specs and, uh, even have them, you know, machine a bolt to your barrel and, get it all trued up so you have something that's just a, a little better than the uh, out-of-the-box uh, mil-spec parts you're going to find in a, a lot of the retailer sites. But that would be my recommendation. So Yeah, I just did that in defense. They've got the 18-inchers. Um, Is it carbine, I mean, mid-length, they're, they're or under, rifle length? they got some mid-length and they got some rifle length, so there you can you choose. And they're under 300 bucks. So Yeah, and uh, you've got Daniel defense, don't you? See, mm-hmm. I've already got yep. one. I love their rifle barrels. They're good. So, uh, Anthony, you want to try to take this next one? Sure. Let's see. We are at... Uh, Actually, just bucks. before we move on, okay. I, I know Anthony put a video up with the Dan Defense guys with their new V11 Pro, I think it was. Um, that's actually an 18-inch barrel, if I remember right. Um, so... It, if you want to go that way, they've, they've got full guns, they've got uppers, um, and I'm sure those are good shooters because I know they're made for kind of the, the three-gun world. All right. Uh, from Shoebox56 um, writes in and says, Glad you all brought up Olympic, AR, Olympic AR pistol carbines. They're underrated and overlooked, unlike the Colt AR pistol calibers. The Olympic AR pistol up caliber uppers can be used with exi- an existing 223 AR lower. Olympic sells polymer, mag- polymer magazines to fit standard AR lower, or you can get Han Magwell block and use Sten magazines. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what Sten magazines are. I think Olympic is the only ones that have 10-millimeter uppers as well. I think I'd go Very for a 10-millimeter. That could be an interesting rifle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I guess it'd be a pistol, but... No, it's a rifle. Yeah. So... Sten guns are awesome, though. So yeah. So explain to me what a Sten gun is. British. Oh, it's one of those Sten. submachine guns from World War II. Uh, that's basically just a metal tube mm-hmm. with a open bolt uh, lever that lets it sing, and uh, it's got the magazine that shoots out the side, out the left side. Yeah. I gotcha. It's pretty awesome. Extra, extra good for uh, prone long range shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Go rent Force Ten from. Uh, Navarone. There you go. Gotcha. The big red one. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. Um, let's see. JW, you want to take the next one here? Yeah. Let's see. Bob L says, Reed, thanks for all you do in producing an amazing podcast. Cast and crew included. I have listened since the beginning. I know there's an endless amount of subject matter for our black rifles, but I thought I would pass this along. A friend of mine who's an aeronautical engineer called me one day and asked if I would research the merits of a big bore AR. After all, I'm retired and have more time, right? Specifically, he was interested in the 458 Stocom versus the 450 Bushmaster. I personally had no interest in either until I dug in and started looking. Um, I think the stories of their development are incredibly interesting and think that some interviews with their respective developers would make great shows. Tim Legendre the creator of the 450 Bushmaster. Um, I guess he goes by 450 Professional. 
uh, he actively posts on the 450bushmaster.net forum uh, under the call of Wildcatter. And I believe Tony Rumor of Tromix was involved in the SOCOM development. He's also on the same uh, website under Tony Rumor. I believe both would be willing. Additionally, I believe the interviews would be of value just due to their historical significance. Some aspects, uh, if Sammy spec'd parent cartridge, bullet differences, ammo availability, cost, max effective range, required components for conversion, uh, the pros and cons of straight walled cases versus bottlenecked cases. Uh, and then there's some recent changes he's talking about from Michigan and Ohio uh, with their hunting laws. Another interview he'd love to listen to would be with Bill Alexander on the development of the 6.5 Grendel and the 50 Beowulf. P.S. Love the facts and segment. Keep up the good work. Thanks again. We know. I think we have, may have to get Anthony on, uh, on that and have him start lurking on the forums and see if he can't uh, throw an invitation <laughs> out to him. Yeah, I don't really know anything about those big ones. Um, I, every once in a while I see one at a gun show with big flashy posters and it's like omg you can have a 50 cal in an ar um <laughs> yeah I, I think 458 socom is one that you can jam like 10 rounds into a normal ar mag right Same stack. 450 bushmaster is similar um but that's always wacky to see <laughs> a big 30 round magazine that's just jam packed with only 10 rounds well i think that we could uh, i know that we had the socom and the Beowulf mm. and the Grendel on our to-do list of caliber ARs. And, you know, I know that we've, uh, uh, had a lot of topics kind of, uh, fill the, the production sheets. And so, uh, I think maybe we should, uh, go back and try to get a couple more, uh, caliber specific AR shows in this year. So, uh, Bob, yeah, thanks great for idea, that. Bob. Excellent. Well, I'll take the next one. Looks like D.W. Taylor writes in, I recently got bitten by the black rifle bug. I discovered that your podcast, I discovered your podcast right after you closed registration for the latest giveaway. Missed by that much. I appreciate the humble approach you take to your audience. You, uh, we are all newbies at one time in this field. I would, uh, I would have left more feedback, but I can only do that on my mobile device devices through my Facebook logon, and I do not have a Facebook account. Don't want one either. Let's see. 6.5 Grendel, I have not heard you speak much of this uh, in the AR configuration. Pros, cons, thoughts. You know, Bob just talked about that. I am thinking about building an upper that I can use for deer this fall. I've heard this is a good round for larger game. You talk about the 300 Blackout and how do they compare. Are they similar, totally different purpose and intent? Uh, thanks for the weekly show. I haven't missed one since I started listening on Stitcher and often download so I can listen on the plane as I fly to work. You know, JW, tell me what your thought is, but I'd say that a 300 blackout in a, I don't know, 125 grain bullet, uh, full charge, uh, supersonic, I'd, I'd take it out in a 16 inch carving configuration and shoot deer with it. Yeah, that's the only thing I've shot a deer with, uh, with an AR platform. It, it was, uh, I think a 110 grain, um, Barnes TAC TX, mm-hmm. one of those black tips. Yeah. And, uh, it dropped them. So that was just a 16 inch suppressed <laughs> blackout upper. Well, you know, if you do get the tax stamp, 
get yourself a can. I think it makes for a much more enjoyable uh, hunting uh, outing since you're not uh, ringing your bell every time you take a shot. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's another one for the Grendel there, so we might have a groundswell from these two listeners of our four um, asking for Grendel. So uh, I think we'll have to put that one on the front of the list. Yeah, I think the Grendel has some advantages when you're stretching it out a little further as far as higher BC and things like that. Well, Anthony, you want to let us know what we have here by way of, uh, I'm assuming these are Instagram? Yeah, they are. Because they're Grammy um, so we and they're had, instant. Uh, yep, and they got, they're Grammy and they're instant and they're picture, picky, picky, picture stuff. Um, we did have somebody that asked on Facebook, I wanted to make a note that, uh, where should we post our pictures? Should we post them here or post them on Instagram? And you guys post them either place. Does not matter to me. Both. Um, we have lots and post them yeah, both, both, both places everywhere. Yeah, just flood the internet with pictures. Well, no, it's not like that. It's not already done like that. It's that I'm like a step <laughs> behind these guys, and so I know they want Instagram, but I I'm just barely at Facebook. Okay, I want to I want to get left into. Yeah, it doesn't matter either either place is cool thing. Um, this, uh, <laughs> comes from uh, godly Bowman 88 and it's, uh, apparently he's got a new fax and firearms, uh, 18 inch one and eight. So barrel that he has put on his rifle. He says the machining was much cleaner than the previous brand that he was using. And it's, he's really excited to pull the trigger and he's got a picture of, uh, of his rifle up there. It's a uh, quite a nice looking little rifle. He's got some nice 45 degree offset sides. Looks like a nice little optic on there, a bipod. It's quite a nice looking little rifle there. So, uh, be excited to see, uh, if he reports back anything and will tag us on us, maybe some pictures on we get out to the range and gets to try it. Well, Second you know, picture. Before you move on, yeah. uh, I would take a guess that that is a mid-length gas system. JW. Oh, looks like it. Thoughts? 18 inch barrel? Hmm. I can't quite see under that handguard. Well, godly let us know if that's a mid-length or a carbine or a rifle length, and we're all just wrong. Well, he's got an interesting piece of um, 45-degree rail sitting there. You guys see that? Mm-hmm. 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 I wonder what he puts there. I don't know. A light or something, maybe? Maybe a red dot used to sit there. Maybe. Could be. Anyways. Or flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> flamethrower. There you go. Our next piece and, and final piece of Instagram feedback comes from Wally Gator, who is a, a very regular uh, contributor to our feedback here on Instagram. He says, it's a beautiful, beautiful day at the range. Uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood. feel like I'm going to sing. Got several tags he stuck on here. Stamp collecting M11, AR-15, Gemtech suppressor, and 22. So I also see, uh, <clears throat> let's see there's a hex mag in there. I do see some suppressors on here. It's like probably a little red dot action going on there. Yeah, it looks like he's got matching red dots. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. 22. Would you call a 223 a 22, or do they make an M11 in a 22 caliber? I don't know. I mean, he's got a uh, mega lower there on his AR. So, yeah, I don't think that's a 20. Well, what about a conversion? That <laughs> would be, it wouldn't be good with a... One and seven inch, one and eight inch barrel. It's too fast. You need like a one and sixteen. On the left there, is that a 
Is that a bullpup kit or something? No, no that's a Mac 11 with a AR. Stock. Maybe that's got a 22 yeah, kit on it. Yeah, maybe it's it's not a transferable. It's maybe it's just a 22. Uh, civilian legal 22. Although they're all civilian legal, man. They're yeah. all civilian legal. You know what? I would bet that that has to be uh, a transferable. Otherwise, he would have had to make it an SBR. Yeah, you're right. I, yep. Yeah. So, it's like, what's the point of SBRing a 22? Exactly. That, well, that, you got a point. But if he's uh, if it's transferable, he can put all the SBR stuff he wants on it. Yeah, yeah. So, and he may have meant to type two twenty three. Huh? There we go. It could be a typo. Typo. <laughs> you know. All right. We're we're. I don't know. When in doubt, add more hashtags. There you go. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, guys, that's another great episode, and uh, that's it. Hope you enjoyed uh, our interview with uh, Pete Brownell. I think he is just really a great stand-up guy. I want you to know that. Uh, uh, a lot of what he said in the interview uh, forms the reason why we enjoy our relationship with Brownells and why I continue to go back uh, time and time again. So with that, um, send us any questions or comments you might have to feedback at ar15podcast.com. You can also send us a recorded voicemail by using the SpeakPipe plugin on the right-hand side of the AR15 podcast website. And to the last uh, guy who tried to leave us a uh, uh, voicemail, it came across as static. We were all very disappointed. Uh, JW even used a frowny face uh, emoticon. So um, you can subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast for free in iTunes or uh, Stitcher, and you can leave us a review on either so that the show can be placed higher in the searches for uh, new potential listeners looking for AR-15 podcasts. Um, share your pics with us on Instagram at AR-15 podcast and tag your pictures with hashtag AR-15 podcast. All right. Take it away, Anthony. Oh, Reed, you throw stuff at me and I'm actually trying to post about the winner. Where, where were you at? <laughs> Follow us on G+. Follow us on Google+, Plus or watch us live when we are actually doing live. Since this was a pre-recorded interview, we are not broadcasting this live right now at plus.google.com, uh, plus sign ARR15 podcast, uh, ARR15 podcast, that is. Check out our YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash ARR15 podcast. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AR15 podcast or check out all the other great podcasts on the Firearms Radio Network at firearmsradio.tv. Don't forget to use our Brownells affiliate link for all of your AR15 parts at ar15podcast.com forward slash parts. And use the Amazon affiliate link for anything else that you might be needing to buy, whether it's a blanket or a set of paper towels or anything else you might be getting from Amazon, a book or anything like that, uh, by going to farmsradio.tv forward slash Amazon right before you purchase. So that does give us a teeny tiny little bit of slice of that pie and does not make you pay anything different whatsoever. All right. Well, guys, another great show. It's good to see you all again. Thanks for uh, covering the bacon the last couple episodes. You guys have been pulling a great great couple of shows uh, out of your rears and I just feel so proud that you're following in my footsteps. That's all we know how to do. We just win every day. There you go. Bingo. All right. We'll see all of you listeners next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. See you.
Are you looking for an extraordinary daily carry option? Look no further. Car Arms is giving away a P9 with night sights right here on the Firearms Radio Network. It's Car's EDC drawing. To enter, simply become a Patreon of any Firearms Radio Network show. Current patrons are automatically entered. But wait, there's more. Key bar, hellbent holsters, alien gear holsters, precision ear, and more have ponied up to enhance your EDC loadout. See all of these awesome prizes and more ways to enter at firearmsradio.tv slash EDC. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.